He's a trigger warning waiting to happen. This is the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Well, my name is Rob Rossi, in for Adam Crowley, and it seems like either one of these men, Mr. Crowley or me, could probably have done just as fine a job as the Pirates bullpen has in this ninth inning, which they entered up by four and now are a base hit by the Tigers away from leaving with a loss, so... So there you go. <laughs> ah, buckos. All right, this is the Adam Crowley Show with you till 7 o'clock here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Coming to you from Carson City Saloon where they're starting to saddle up to the bar for their $2 drafts and $5 appetizers. And uh, they may be needing some appetizers and some drafts after this because this pirate game has gone sideways quickly. They are 10-10 in a pitching and defense masterpiece here. Uh, their closer has been pulled, so they've already have one blown save. And the Pirates are going to get out of this inning. So we get extra innings on opening day, which was actually yesterday, but... You know, kind of is today because of weather. Speaking of which, I have a column up at TribLive.com I would like you to check out because, let's be honest, I'm awesome. No, I want you to check this out for this reason. In that column, I outline a way to improve the baseball scheduling. But I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of it right now. So, please pay attention. Here's my proposal, everybody. Instead of playing games on March 28th, 29th or 30th or before April 1st we should have a later start to the Major League Baseball season let's just say we look at April 1st as the average start date for the regular season in baseball what if I told you in the 13 cities where 15 of the teams play in stadiums that are either located where it can quite commonly be cold or where there is no roof. In those 13 cities, the average temperature is 5.6 degrees cooler on April 1st than it would be April 10th. Now you might say, Rossi, what's 5.6 degrees? And I would say you, it's, you know, Point four degrees away from 6 degrees. But what I would really say to you is this. I want you to go outside in, oh, 51-degree weather, and I want you to hold a baseball. And on the other hand, I want you to hold a baseball glove. And I want you to throw a baseball really hard into that baseball glove. Now, I don't want you to stick your hand in your pockets or under your shirt or blow into it. I just want you to hold that baseball. And see how many times you can throw that baseball into that glove without the glove in the hand in the glove hurting a bit from catching it, or without the other hand feeling like you can't really manipulate the ball the way you want to. Get a good grip. Alright? Now try doing that in fifty one degree weather, when there's no sun. Now, 
Tried doing that in 56 degree weather. Bit of a difference. Now I know what you're thinking here. Wait a minute, Rob. I don't get paid to catch a baseball. I don't get paid to throw a baseball. I don't care about those people throwing and catching baseballs or swinging bats, whatever. That's fair. But have you ever spilled a beer on opening day? Just a little bit of the beer falls out of the cup, lands on your hand. Now here's the thing. I just think it's easier to wipe the beer off your bare hand than it is to soak it out of a mitten. Think about this. In Pittsburgh, on April 1st, the average temperature is 52 degrees. In Pittsburgh, on April 10th, the average temperature is 58 degrees. So what I propose is you don't play a baseball game in Pittsburgh until April 15th every year. I propose in New York, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City, Washington, D.C. I propose in these, in Boston, I propose in these cities, the home openers are held on April 15th because these teams would open a three-game series every year in the stadium of a team on the West Coast or a team down South or a team with a dome. And they would play three games in a row, then have an off day, and then start their home portion of their schedule, have an off day after that, and then play the final two games. And by April 19th, every team will have played six games, every team will have played three games at home and three games on the road. And then you can get into this everyday thing with baseball. And people say, well, that's a long time to wait for baseball. It is. It is. But let me ask you something. Wouldn't we be okay with waiting a couple weeks in April? Most of these cities, we got things going on. And I'd argue that attendance will be better for teams if the season starts later because that means more games played in the part of the season when kids aren't in school. Now, how do you do this, right? How do you, let's just say we can get to that point, right? We'll start the season on April 10th, the three-game series where it's warm or where they play inside. We'll have April 15th home openers at all the other cities. It'll be warmer, and we'll keep going after that. But how do we get all the games in? Because we're not getting rid of 162 games, are we? That's a good question. So here's my other theory or my suggestion, my pitch to Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball. I know he's listening. Starting June 1st through August 21st, each team plays 10 doubleheaders. One a week. Now, after the doubleheader, there's a day off. The doubleheaders would be split evenly. Five series, five of them at home, five of them on the road. Here's where it gets even more interesting. Four of those doubleheaders at home are against a divisional opponent. Four of those doubleheaders 
are on the road against a divisional opponent. And the other two doubleheaders are home-and-home doubleheaders with your interleague rival. Wait, what? Yeah. Think about that. Every year, if you're a Pirate fan, you're getting a doubleheader against the Reds, a doubleheader against the Cubs, a doubleheader against the Brewers, and a doubleheader against the Cardinals. And you're going to get one of those at home and one of those on the road. That's eight days a year where you can make up ground in a big way in one day. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So hypothetically, you go into that day six games behind first place Chicago Cubs if you're the Pirates. You sweep that doubleheader, you're four back. It's a pretty nice way to go into an off day, right? Conversely, if you're the team trying to hold off a team, you can put a hurting on them. You build in drama. And then for the interleague games, look, interleague bores us all anymore. So why not make the interleague a little more interesting by doing them on double headers? You play two in one city, you take a day off, you play two in the next city. The next week. That's pretty cool. Now, doesn't this hurt teams at the gate? I don't know. Does it hurt teams any more than having that getaway day? In the afternoon, when you have like 12,000 people in the stands? Doesn't this hurt broadcasters? Maybe. But I think there are enough broadcasting partners with the major league teams to be able to say, look, why don't we approach it like this? Those doubleheaders, one will be shown on TV, one will be on the radio. Pretty good exclusivity there, right? And by the way, you're doing this June 1st through August 21st, which coincides with kids being off of school. Okay? So kids being off school can get to these doubleheaders. And starting August 21st, or starting August 22nd, excuse me, you go back to the regular once-a-day schedule. But I would bet that by August 22nd, those double headers have significantly impacted the division race and the wild card race. I think they'd make for more interesting postseason developments. And I contend that starting the season later gets you feeling a little better about baseball. Because as much as we're looking forward to the home opener on Monday... It's going to be like 42 degrees or 46 degrees or whatever. It's not going to be warm. And baseball's great, but when baseball games that take three and a half hours require you to sit and just watch guys throwing the ball around, that's a lot to ask for the home opener. And you know what's even worse? When your home opener gets rained out, or as has happened often in Chicago or Detroit or Cleveland, snowed out. And by the way, if the Pirates had been playing their home opener today, I'm not sure they get it in earlier in the day when it was hailing. Hailing. Now, last I checked, the national pastime was not intended to be played in hail. So what do you think about this? Would you be okay with a later start to the baseball regular season if it meant some doubleheaders during the summer, if it meant warmer temperatures, we're talking, again, almost a six-degree difference 
between April 1st and mid-April. And if it meant more compelling divisional matchups. Think about that. In my proposal, you'd have eight doubleheaders a year against your divisional foes, which means on those eight days, you have a chance to significantly change your situation. That'd be something pretty special. And think how it would require you to build teams, because you'd have to start thinking about those doubleheaders when you think about roster moves, right? You have to start thinking about those doubleheaders, like who's up, who's down. You're bringing up an extra arm for those bullpens? What are you doing? For instance, if this was the Pirates and Tigers right now, they'd have probably each brought up three extra arms because these teams can't pitch or field or do much of anything. So there's my pitch. Rob Manfred, I hope you're listening. I really do. You can call in at 412-922-2874. You and Le'Veon Bell will get all the time you want to talk, unless I have a guest or something else I want to talk about. Switching away from baseball, there's been a lot of talk about the Hart Trophy, the National Hockey League's MVP. Full disclosure, I'm a voter for the NHL Awards. I will cast a ballot this year where I have to submit five Nominees for the Hart Trophy in order. One, two, three, four, five. Haven't done it yet. But when we come back here on the Adam Crowley Show, I'm Rob Rossi filling in for Adam Crowley, by the way. You can check out my column at triblive.com or you can check out my Twitter feed at real underscore Rob Rossi. When we come back here, we're going to talk about the Hart Trophy and what's going on with the discussions being had about who is deserving with a guy you used to know as Puck Daddy, a guy I call a friend, and arguably the most impactful hockey media member of the past decade, Mr. Greg Wisinski. We're going to talk to him about the Hart Trophy and whether or not Connor McDavid, whose team is nowhere near good, should be a candidate. So we'll get into that when we come back. But first... I want to alert you to something that's pretty cool. It's the free Movie Friday program with Adam Tickets. They want to give you a chance at free movie tickets, so text them now. And what you want to text is B-U-R-G-E-R to A-T-O-M-1. That's B-U-R-G-E-R to A-T-O-M-1. That's going to give you a chance to win. The Adam Tickets app is where you can browse movie titles, buy tickets, invite friends, pre-order concessions, and do it all from your phone and skip the lines. So, the free Movie Friday program is easy as pie. Or, in this case, easy as a burger. Just text B-U-R-G-E-R to A-T-O-M-1 for your free Movie Friday opportunity. We come back on the Adam Crowley Show. Greg Wazinski joins us. I'm Rob Rossi. In for Adam, this is ESPN Pittsburgh. We're back. We're here, by the way, at Carson City Saloon. Come down here for happy hour specials, $2 off your draft beers and $5 off appetizers. I just ordered some pierogies because I'm a good Catholic boy. 
can't eat meat on Friday, and I need all the help I can get. So uh, when it comes to things like uh, purgatory and other places. Uh, speaking of which, I welcome to the show right now a good friend of mine, a man I have called one of the most influential hockey scribblers of the past decade. <laughs> Used to go by Puck Daddy, now goes by Greg. Uh, Greg Wisniewski uh, of ESPN. You know him, you love him. If you're in Edmonton, you want no more of him. Hi, Greg. <laughs> Hi. I think I think there's probably about, I'd say it's about, uh, what do you figure, like 70% of Pittsburgh loves me? And 30% yeah, you're, of, uh, you've got a better fan fans. base here than I do. <laughs> so, um, although I've been unabashedly pro-Penguin this year because I, I marvel at how little equity the back-to-back Stanley Cup championships of the Penguins have bought in or has bought the Penguin fan base here because they panic at every loss as if they've never seen any actual adversity before. You would think in a town where the franchise has been bankrupt three times that they would be used to not panicking. But no, Greg, they panic. Oh, do they panic. It, it's a, I'm sure it's a psychological thing. I mean, you know, you never want to rest on your laurels. I think, you know, you take, as a fan base, you take a cue from the captain the captain's never happy. He's never content. He's never looking back. He looked pretty pleased with himself last night. <laughs> That's the thing about that goal last night was ridiculous. Yes. I, I mean, he basically beat Kincaid twice in the span of a second. Um, and the thing about Sid that I always loved about about Sid is, you know, when when he gets angry, when he gets pissed off, right. there's always going to be that moment of, of comeuppance. Right. And last night, Z- I thought Zajac shattered him pretty good. I mean, they you know didn't get a point in regulation. Gets that butt end of the stick, he gets all pissed off, and then in the uh, in the overtime, you know, wins the game himself, which is again just it, it, the, the 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 change in in attitude towards Sid over the last decade has been remarkable to see. Where even if you don't like him, you have to acknowledge the game, and you have to acknowledge the the determination and the drive, and, and just the the way that he can do what he did last night, where you think you have been checked the entire game. You piss them off, and then and then they come out of there with two points. Greg Wazinski, my guest here on the Adam Crowley Show, and Rob Rossi filling in for Adam uh, here on ESPN Pittsburgh. You know, Greg, I want to before we get into the the real fun stuff of the many things I've been wrong about over the years. Maybe the one I was most wrong is I really did think a couple of years ago the best of Crosby and Malkin were behind them, which wasn't to suggest I thought they wouldn't be great players, but they were so outstanding early in their career that logic said as they went into their 30s they couldn't possibly find a different level that was equal to or greater than but for Evgeny Malkin to have chased a scoring title at his age I mean these guys he's going against are all young and for Sidney Crosby to have sort of become the latter day version of Iserman in terms of a two-way player but still be a top 10 scorer I don't know if they and Alex Ovechkin, I'll throw him in there, I really don't know if they're appreciated as much as they should be for their second half of their career dominance. Yeah, and in, in Malkin's case, I mean, it's it's not as if, and it, I, I, I think... I right, think he's never been appreciated, so we should probably yeah, clarify yeah, he's never been appreciated. <laughs> but in, in Malkin and Ovechkin's case, I feel like they're still kind of playing like they have. I mean, right. you know, Ovechkin is still scoring the goals he's always scored, and Malkin is still 
a bull in the China, in a China shop right. uh, on the forecheck and and uh, and playing the way that he has. And I think that's sort of a remarkable thing in and of itself that you can play a certain way for as long as they have and, and no one's found a solution for it. And I think Ovechkin's goal scoring prowess has obviously come under some reexamination with with him hitting the milestone recently and and the thought you know could he catch Gretzky one day? So I think I think that. There has been sort of an appreciation of that longevity. In Sid's case, like you said, I mean, the thing I love about him, uh, amongst many things, is the fact that he can change from year to year, that there are things in his game over the years that he's worked on. He's become a more complete player. He's become a better player. And as we transition to another conversation I think we're probably going to have today, when when they start bringing up the best player in the world argument and they bring up Connor McDavid, like the thing that I want to see from McDavid is the thing that we all saw from Crosby, which is, to examine parts of your game that might not necessarily be there, like on the defensive side of the puck, and then make yourself the best player in the world in that regard, too. And and I think Sid's done that, and uh, and I think Connor can do it, but but I don't think we've necessarily uh, seen that in practice yet. And that might just be by virtue of the fact that the Oilers have played a a whole heck of a lot of important games uh, where he's needed to be that guy. I, I think that's a great point. We're talking with Greg Wazinski, and you can follow him at Wazinski on the Twitter machine. Greg, you know, the luxury Crosby and Malkin have had since their first league in the year together is they've been in the postseason. Uh, I've always said the most remarkable thing about them to me, those two players, is their point-per-game production doesn't change. When you look at what they do in the regular season where they're both, you know, very close to being top 10 all-time point-per-game guys. Crosby is, Malkin's just on the outside. They basically do that in the playoffs, which is very difficult. And I also think, though, they benefited early on from, you know, their second season together, they were in the Stanley Cup final. I don't know if Connor McDavid's going to have that luxury because I don't get the sense that the Edmonton Oilers are built anywhere near as well as the Penguins were early. That doesn't mean Connor can't elevate them, but it's going to be harder on him to get that experience. Yeah, and 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 learn to win and learn right. what it takes to win. And and like you said, I mean, making a cameo appearance in the Stanley Cup final before they, they actually win the thing three times. Against an exceptional team, too. I mean, it wasn't oh, yeah. like they just went against any team that year. They took a really good Red Wings team to six games. Yeah, and then you get a taste of it and you get hungry for it, and then, and then you do everything that's... That, possible to get there again and you know obviously the first cup run then that's also the first time that they uh you know they take out the capitals and and win an incredibly intense series like like you said there's been a lot of education for sid and gino as far as how to do this thing and you know one of the knocks on the oilers before mcdavid got there was sort of the toxic atmosphere around that team and by that i mean you had a collection of, of young players top picks first round guys that were so far out of the playoff picture every year that they couldn't kind of figure out even how to get to the bubble. It took, it took McDavid coming in and sort of being a game changer and not having been part of that, that you know, constant disappointment where they're changing coaches almost every season to really change the, uh, the, the game and shift the paradigm at Edmonton. So you hope that that trajectory can be upward again. You hope it's not a situation where we're re- revisiting this next year and talking about how McDavid is 17 points out of a playoff spot because that'd be a damn shame to not have this guy <laughs> as part of the postseason. Greg Wazinski, my guest here. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Wazinski. Follow him at ESPN.com. Also, uh, 
Greg, I want you to give a plug to your book because it's available at Amazon and iTunes. You wrote a book with, uh, who'd you write that with? Dave and who else? Oh, with uh, Dave and Down Goes Brown. Down Goes Brown, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Sean McIndoe, the top 100 players uh, in NHL history and, uh, and, and other stuff. So, uh, so check that out. All right, let's get into it. I want to start here. Greg, because we're both members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, um, and full disclosure, not only am I the chapter chair, but I'm the Eastern Conference rep, I'm on the executive committee, so all that jazz, so, so the audience knows this. Um, I can't remember a time when I've had a more challenging vote for the Hart Trophy, and I've been voting on it now, I think, for 11 years. Uh, can you remember a time when... There was this wide open of a field. Not this wide open of a field. And the last time maybe that we had this much of a contentious vote could have been the year when, when, when Thornton and Yager right. were uh, neck and neck towards the end of the season. And we just had to figure out which direction we wanted to go on that one. That was hugely contentious. But the, never, never is a glut of, of candidates and choices like we have this year. Where it's like it's got, ten deep of consideration. Like I don't think it really is. Real, I mean, it's it's nuts. And, and, and it's and it's different guys of all stripes too. I mean, it's like Hall and, and McKinnon and, and Kopitar who kind of fit that classic, you know, guys who got their teams over the hump and into the into the playoffs over the bubble. You've got guys like Malkin and Ovechkin and Marchand who all you know have elevated what should be playoff teams to begin with into higher. Uh, places in, in the standings, and then you know you've got this this outlier in Connor McDavid that uh, has gotten a significant amount of attention and support from many of our peers, uh, who is probably going to is going to win the Art Ross, could potentially win the the, the goal scoring title, uh, but is on a team that's seventeen points at the playoffs. All right, so uh, let's get into it. You, you brought it up, Greg. You you brought the elephant in the room up, and I'm I'm look, I'm with you. I think in where we think in terms of value but the award says we should vote based off the criteria of player adjudged to have been most valuable to his team and i guess my argument comes down to this you can be the best player in the league but if your team is a tire fire as the edmonton oilers have been most of this season i don't know that you can have value on a team that's nowhere near the playoffs yeah, that's At least the most value. Yeah, that's <laughs> when it comes to the league. Too, is that essentially, essentially his value is bringing the, the Oilers from like 29th in the league to like 25th. Right. Which, if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, and and you know what should be valued for that team, he's decreasing their draft lottery right. odds. I mean, exactly. Yes, he's, he's, not, he's hurting. He's not their putting value. them any closer to the playoffs or doing anything like that. Versus the value that you derive from, say, uh, uh, Nathan McKinnon, whose performance is. You know, could be the difference between the Avalanche making or missing the playoffs. Same thing with Taylor Hall. Same thing with Kopitar. Um, you know, there are a number of guys that you can say, when it comes to value, have added more value to their teams than than McDavid has. And yeah, it's it's unfair to the kid because the Oilers are terrible. But that's just the reality of our surroundings. I mean, you know, every year there's going to be awards where you know you, you look at a context beyond the numbers. And I think in the case of the Hart Trophy, it's the single most objective vote we have and uh, it comes down to how you define value and, and i think like i wrote on espn today for the last 50 years of voting going all the way back to the 67 68 expansion the it's clear the criteria is that you if you're uh, you know the, the heart trophy is going to go to a guy from a playoff team 
And there's right. been, you know, five exceptions, one of them being Mario, and his team was a point out. Right. And I think, you know, that's that's the thing. You can point to Mario and say, yeah, non-playoff guy won it, but his team was a point out versus being a complete non-factor for the last two and a half months of the season, which is what the Oilers are going to be. And shouldn't we emphasize, we're talking with Greg Wazinski here, uh, follow him on the Twitter machine, at Wazinski. Uh, shouldn't we emphasize, too, and look, I'm... I think Connor McDavid is right now. I think he's been the best player in the league this season in many cases. But look, this run, when he's gotten back into it, these games have meant nothing. They have meant nothing for the Oilers. I would argue that the games Alex Ovechkin or Nathan McKinnon or Taylor Hall, whomever, they've all meant something. They've been playing for stakes. And I'm sorry, as a voter who takes these things significantly seriously I look at that I look at was your team playing meaningful hockey in the last month of the season and the truth is the Edmonton Oilers have not played a meaningful hockey game since about Thanksgiving in the US right it's he's played out the string if you look at the year he had last year which statistically is comparable to what he's done this year it was a pretty much an even split as far as his points per game before and after the All-Star game. And right now you look at it, and he's put up 49 points in 29 games after the All-Star break. It's superhuman to be sure. Right. But it's not come at a time where these, this team has been playing playoff games and, uh, and, and, and having to you know, deal with being in the thick of a playoff race. They've been also ran for the last two months. So I, I think that's the key. It's not to say that it's been easy for him or anything like that, and it's not to diminish the accomplishment because I think he's been the player of the year. I just think that, you know, the Hart Trophy traditionally, and, and this is not redefining the criteria for it, this has been the criteria for it, has gone to players who have given their team value and their teams have been valuable because they've been either in the playoffs or right in the bubble. And the Edmonton Oilers, despite the heavy lifting that McDavid's done and scoring a huge percentage of their goals and, and getting a huge percentage of their points, are not a valuable team. They are, they are without value. They are, they are a country mile away from playoff contention. And, um, you know, despite the, the fact that he's going to win the Art Ross and be the player of the year, I, I just cannot in good faith say that this guy should be the MVP when there are so many other cases of guys uh, that are uh, elevating their team to doing something worthwhile than to simply just play out the string. Can you think of another player, Greg, that we would be having this conversation about if the situation was different? Well, we didn't have it about Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, right. when he, you know, scored a, a ton of goals for the Atlanta Thrashers one year. And we haven't had it about Ziggy Palfi uh, during the 1990s when he right. had 48 goals for an Islanders team that missed the playoffs by eight, by seven points. And we didn't have it for Rick Nash. We didn't have it for Shane Doan. We've never had it for a player that did not make the playoffs by this span. And so to answer your question, the entire reexamination of the Hart Trophy is happening because of Connor McDavid. We want him to be our Gretzky. We want to celebrate him. We want we want him to do superhuman things, and winning the Hart Trophy in a year in which his team is completely irrelevant would be part of that. Well, when and you say we, a, do you mean we as the hockey community or we as in a portion of Canada? Oh, no, I think we as a hockey community. Okay. Look, everybody loves Connor. It's, it's criminal that he's not going to be part of the playoffs. And I get the desire. Well, I blame Peter Chiarelli and the Edmonton ownership for that, not him. For, no, not him at all, exactly. Right. He's blameless. We feel bad for him. That's my point. We, we want the opportunity to look at the at, at the, uh, the, the this decade like we look at the Gretzky decade on Wikipedia and see how many heart trophies he's pulled, scoring titles he's had, because we know what we have here in common. We know what we have. We've got the most 
this most singularly talented offensive player since Mario and Connor McDavid. So I think there's a real desire to give this guy as many awards and, and, and celebrate this guy as much as we can, uh, which is kind of blends itself to this reexamination of an award and its criteria that's been unprecedented. And, you know, it, it's, I think you look back, like I wrote today, you look back at him winning the heart last year and you say to yourself, this is a moment where this guy started to really make the turn to being the best player in the world. It's a moment where the Edmonton Oilers started to make the turn into being a contender. And that's something that I will look at that Hart Trophy win and remember. But I don't want to look at a Hart Trophy win this year for Conor McDavid and be like, oh, yeah, that's the, that's the season where his team took a gigantic regression backwards, missed the playoffs by 17 points, and all he did was basically ruin their chances to get Rasmus Dahlin. Like, I, I, guess, I, don't, I don't understand the logic there. And, Greg, I guess my argument against Conor McDavid might be something like this. And This is a Pittsburgh bias, but Mario Lemieux, Maybe the second best player ever, certainly in the top five, won the award three times. And that's because it should be hard to win that award. It should be very, you should have to be, you should have to have an outstanding season of significance for your team and yourself as an individual. And I don't want to start devaluing that award, devaluing what Connor McDavid did last year by giving him an award this year. And I feel like that's what some people want to do. Yeah, and and, and people bring up the baseball comparison where Mike Trout wins on a non-contending team, and yeah, you know, I say the same thing, which is that it's a you know it's a hundred sixty-two game season, it's a it's a league where ten teams make the playoffs, a few of them only for a game. It's a completely different situation, and and I agree with you. I, I think I think McKinnon. I'm sorry, I think McDavid winning. Would, would devalue the award. I think when you bring up Mario and, and the year he won when he was a point out of the playoffs, you also have to remember that he won the scoring title by upwards of like 30 points that year. Right. And at this point, you know, McDavid, what he's been able to do on a bad team is laudable, but it's not as if he has no. eclipsed Nathan McKinnon, who to me has had an incredible offensive season. Or Taylor Hall. Or right Taylor now, Hall. Yeah, both yeah, guys I'm... have had incredible offensive seasons. They've elevated their teams to playoff contention. It's not to say that that McDavid should be, you know, uh, given a demerit because he couldn't do the same thing as far as playoff contention. But it's just the reality of our surroundings. These are these are teams that were on the bubble, and you can point to McKinnon and point to McDavid and point to Kopitar, who, by the way, yeah. has, is leading his team by like 30 points in a year where Jeff Carter was hurt for most of the season, and say that these performances are potentially right. the difference between not being a playoff team and being a playoff team, and that's yep. way more valuable than what McDavid did. I agree with you, man. Hey, look, if this gets down to a uh, street fight, I got your back. I don't know if that's good or bad. For you. <laughs> so. I got your back uh, there, Mr. Puck Daddy, oh, formerly man. of. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> I want you on that wall, man. I need you on that wall. Uh, yes. All right, my friend. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Wazinski. Follow him at ESPN.com. Does great work. Greg, thanks for joining me. We'll be back here on the Adam Crowley Show, ESPN Pittsburgh. So I'm going to apologize to you right now. If I belch over the air, it's because I have ha- I'm enjoying these wonderful fried pierogies from Carson City Saloon, which, by the way, is one of their many dishes you can get until 7 o'clock for $5 because it's $5 apps here at the Carson City Saloon, along with $2 drafts. But they serve them with a wing sauce that is spicy as all get out in a good way. It's one of those, like, delicious spices, but it's got some kick. I bring this up because I'm also watching this pirate game as we're on the air here on the Adam Crowley Show. And 
it occurred to me during the break, I was at the Carson City Saloon the night of the Jerry Meals game, which went, what, 18 innings? Is that what we're saying that one went? And it remains one of the most egregious calls you'll ever see. When the Braves won a game despite having a guy thrown out by about 15 feet. And I remember being at the front bar of the Carson City Saloon that night, and it was a small group of my friends, and we were the only ones in the bar at that point, and they had actually kind of closed the bar for the night because uh, they used to close earlier on weeknights that day, that back then, and we're just there. I mean, everything was on the up and up. Everything was legal, but none of us would leave because we were just convinced that we had not seen what we were witnessing, and I makes me wonder, if you're out there and you're listening to ESPN Pittsburgh and you're expecting Adam Crowley and you're like, boy, this guy sounds a lot better. Why wouldn't we have him on all the time? I agree with you. And Sergey Gonchar likes to tell me all the time, I agree with what you say. Uh, if you're listening and you want to call in at 412-922-2874, what is, in the theory of the Jerry Meals uh, they just wanted to end the game and go home philosophy that I have. What is the call that you've watched in a game, baseball, hockey, basketball, football, tennis, whatever, that you still cannot believe? They're like, all these years later, you go, I still can't believe that happened. You bring this up because the Pirates and the Tiggers are in the bottom of the 11th or 10th. Bottom of the 11th, and the Pirates just put a man on. Uh, Stephen Brault's in the game. The Pirates are basically down to Brault and one more pitcher that isn't named random position player that they'd have to put in. So, look, you never want to lose a game in baseball, but I'll be honest with you. The Pirates would not be all that upset if they lost this game in the bottom of the 11th because... The first game of the season is not when you want to blow out a bullpen that already isn't very good. And I always go back to that Meals game because the Pirates lost that game and they were having a promising season and then it kind of went south on them. And I've always wondered what the record is of teams that lose games after July 1st. What their record is after they lose a game that goes like 15 or more innings. Because I bet the team that loses that game has a real hard time rallying. And a lot of that is because you got to get back the next day and your bullpen's gone. Your bullpen is just shot. And at the beginning of the year, you heard the Pirates say this. I mean, General Manager Neil Huntington already talked about this year. He talked about bringing 13 guys with him in terms of arms. Look. It's usually that the hitter's got to catch up to the pitchers this time of year. Now, I know. You're watching this Pirate game, and you're going, it's 10-10. to What else do the hitters have to catch up to? Well, most teams aren't going to have bullpens like the Pirates and Tigers, who I think combined to give up like eight runs today. But you don't want to blow this bullpen out early. And, And being that the Pirates are playing again tomorrow because the day off ended up being the day of the opener, Look, I'm not saying you want them to lose, but you don't want this game going another. You don't want this game going to the 13th. Like you want somebody to win it right now, the 11th or 12th inning, because we're getting to that point where you just don't have the arms. And the last thing anybody wants is the Pirates to come home from Detroit with their bullpen just, you know, like a crapshoot. 
I mean, even more than it already might actually be a crapshoot. So we'll see how this goes, but it's it's been a fun game to watch. It's been also a four-and-a-half-hour game to watch. And it goes back to why maybe we should play these early season games in the, I don't know, warmth. Because that looked like a real fun day to be in Detroit watching a game. They just keep showing random pictures of people freezing. Here's random boyfriend and girlfriend, boyfriend trying to look tough, girlfriend shivering, random idiot guy in his short sleeve shirt with a tassel cap on. Look, don't wear short sleeves and a tassel cap, okay? You're either cold or you're too tough for that. Don't try to give us both. And then there's a bunch of people dressed as empty seats. I'm just saying. This is where we got to go to here. Pirates got two more games against the Tiggers. I love calling them the Tiggers. I really wish they came out and did like a Tigger Day where they had like a Winnie the Pooh Day and a Tigger Day and a Piglet Day, like, you know, specialty uniforms. Sort of like I wish every pirate relief pitcher had a gangly beard and an earring. I just think that should be like, be a real swashbuckler. Or they should drive a boat to the game. Like, just steer a ship. You know, I think that'd be great, too. This is what you do when you're 11 innings into the opening day. So, yeah, but have you ever, have you ever had a play that where you've been watching as a fan and you've just gone, you know, I still can't believe that. Or a call. For instance, the Neil O'Donnell second interception that he threw in Super Bowl Thirty. The one that looked like he targeted Larry Brown and threw it right to him. Like, you can watch that replay to this day and go, I can't believe that. I still can't believe that happened. That's the way I feel about the Jerry Meals play. So if you got one of those, call us, 412-922-2874. It actually would be cool, though. The one good thing about the Pirates, if they extend this game to, like, 18 innings, people are coming out of, like, work. And they're just going to stroll into a bar like here at Carson City and be like, oh, free baseball, that's awesome. Meanwhile, poor Greg Brown's like banging his head off the, I just want to raise the Jolly Roger, please. One guy I know who's watching this, I, I texted him this morning, Doc Emmerich. Texted him this morning with my prediction for wins. He said I was not giving the home club enough credit. Doc's an eternal optimist. So, all right. We got one more hour left here on the Adam Crowley show, and that hour may include Adam Crowley. Go figure. Adam Crowley on his own show. It would make for a miracle on this Easter weekend. Not really. But, you know, we like to uh, exaggerate a bit here. All right. Final hour of the Adam Crowley show. When we come back here on ESPN Pittsburgh, I'm Rob Rossi in for Adam, and we'll be back with a final hour where we get into a little bit of wrestling, a little bit more baseball. And a little bit about Adam's personal hygiene, which is always fun on the radio because you don't have to see it. ESPN Pittsburgh. We'll catch you on the next side.